With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield and Next Pro podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Brighton 2, Liverpool 2 in the Premier League from the Amex Stadium are Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi. We've had probably one of our longest um, pre-recording chit-chats there, Dave, which I think says it all about the uh, uh, way the show is likely to go in terms of conversations to be had. Um I am firmly in the in the uh, category of two points dropped as opposed to a point gained. I th- um, I think you might be slightly different. Uh, well, so, no, Harry is slightly different. I think so. I'm just going to ask you wh- wh- what's your takeaway from that, given again the context of results as they've come in over the weekend. Uh, we've had a couple of opportunities now to sort of neck ourselves in front, and yet mm. again we fail to take it. It's frustrating. It is frustrating, um, but I'm happy with the point, to be honest, because I said before the game, and I said before Spurs, when we were looking ahead at like Spurs and Brighton and even like the, the five games, including starting with those two, that I'd be happy with points in both games. Now, obviously, because we lost last weekend for reasons that we've discussed, it did put a bit more of a, of a need for three points today, but like we, we do have to factor in. They're really good. Like, they're not just some cute story now. They're a really good team. They're undeniably a better footballing team than United, than Chelsea. So you, you, when you look at like the six best teams in the country, and when you include Newcastle with ourselves, Arsenal, City and Spurs, Brighton are the sixth team. Like for me, they're right in that mix right now. They're brilliantly managed. They're, I think, the best-run club in the country. They've got the best recruitment in the country. Klopp said he thinks they're the best coached team in the country, and I'm inclined to agree. And they're also playing, I believe, the best football in the country. Like I watch every Brighton game, and they're genuinely so much fun to watch. And there's flaws in their team. But they're more in like like a lack of individual quality in certain areas than anything else. But like that first half today, I thought they were outstanding. And yet somehow we went in 2-1 up, having been outplayed. Second half, I thought we were the better team. And yet we lose the half 
So overall, like you look at statistically, we had slightly more possession. Both sides had 14 shots. We had three, a four on target. They had three, but Joe Pedro missed a sitter for them. Bravenberg missed a sitter for us. Outside of those, I'm not really thinking of any big saves that either goalkeeper made. So I do, I do feel like it's a fair result based on the balance of the game, based on the fact that they're a really good team. We're a really good team. We're both teams that are building towards something. Neither's close to the finished, the finished article. We've both got deficiencies in certain areas. I have to, I am, I'm, I'm happy with the point. And I think the, the three points were there for us today. But I think there was decisions made in the team selection, in the way we went about the game, that gave them a bit of an edge. And like I said, I, th- I think we were very fortunate to go in ahead at half time. I think if we'd gone in 2 0 down, I don't really think we could have had too many complaints based on what how, how the game unfolded. Yeah, they look a lot less experimental at this stage of their development than we do, which is kind of ironic, uh, considering we've changed a smaller amount, I would imagine, of the overall playing staff. Um, and yet, uh, as you say and alluded to, and we we can't and not get into this, um, there were a lot of decisions from the off in terms of selection and the approach to tactics, which um, I think left us looking all at sea for a lot of that half. And, and Harry, Dave's dead right. Brighton were very much in our faces in that first half. And, yeah. um, you, we would have had to hold our hands up and, uh, and, and accept whatever result came our way at halftime because we did not impose ourselves on that game at all. Um, mm. and they really were quite dominant um for the stats to end up as even as they ended up in the end is a testimony to the other thing that they've said which is that we were very much i thought the better side in the second half yes they carried a threat for sure on breaks and stuff like that but we were we were the more dominant side and should have converted that dominance into a third goal um but there are so many ways to come at this harry i don't know if you want to flag a few of them up here in terms of uh, our deficiencies and where we left the two points behind us today. Sure, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with Dave that you know, I think at this stage we do have to accept that this Brighton side are a very talented footballing side, a very well-run uh, football side, football club, and I, I think they they ask you all sorts of questions throughout the entirety of the game. Um, there's even in sort of moments where you're on top, they still have the ability to ask you some some difficult questions. They can make tactical changes uh, in game that then throw you off, even after you've had sort of periods where you're dominating again. I thought they did that really well today, again, just to just to unsettle us. Uh, even even small details like some of their set pieces like, throughout the day, I thought were really uh, interesting to watch as well, because there's clearly a lot of thought that's gone into those. And you know, I'm sure we drill ourselves really well on set pieces. We've, we've got a pretty good record. I thought we were dreadful against like, the majority of them today, to be honest, and to, or didn't look comfortable, at least, uh, in, in the way in which we have usually looked uh, over the past like, season or so. Um, yeah, just changing little things here or there to pull us out of position, um, break up a routine that maybe we've been practicing. And, and, and there's talent across the pitch there. We've spoken about their recruitment uh, we joked a little bit about uh, when we missed out on Caicedo in the summer. I mean, like, is you know, could could Baleba be worth uh, a punt? And you know, again, very small sample size. I, I, this is the first I've seen of him today, but looks like a you know a very capable, you know, promising talent in that position. Gets around the pitch, cynical, 
like you were saying as well. And it's it's weird because I think as, as Dave's touched upon there, there were moments in that game where I think if we if we score the third goal at the moment where we have the chance to do so, I think we take that game away from them. Their heads go down, perhaps uh, a little bit more than they ultimately did, uh, and we might have sort of run away with that game, but we weren't able to do that. But last season, uh, in, in the games we had against Brighton, I thought uh, more than most of the games we played last season, which obviously weren't great, but I thought the games against them in particular really exposed the gaps that existed in, in Liverpool's squad, the areas of their first 11 that just weren't up to scratch. They ruthlessly exploited those last season. And this season, when we're looking at this game, I felt like they pointed out the last remaining one, really. I mean, yes, we mucked about with the, the formation a little bit, players in different positions than we've seen so far this season. Um, but, you know, ultimately we have uh, you know, no defensive specialist on the pitch in midfield. Uh, we're asking uh, asking a former Brighton player to do that job. And you know, there are moments throughout today where you could see sort of, you know, you He'll do his best and he's a, he's a hardworking footballer, he's an intelligent footballer, but it's not natural to him to play in that role. And there were some things today where you could just see that you know, perhaps he was having to think about it really, really hard to actually sort of, you know, make sure he was covering all his bases. But you, know, you can't do that for 90 minutes. And I thought they targeted targeted that hole in our side quite quite effectively. But the resilience is good to see. Uh, you want to sort of stop seeing the resilience and, and see us leading from the front for for a few games now, to be honest. But um, yeah, the, the individual attacking quality that we have, I think, is is going to make sure that we're up there this season. Um, but yeah, the last thing I'll say as well, I mean, after the game, you're looking at it, and it's 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 a good point in the end, given sort of the fact that Pedro probably should have won that game for them with that chance he has laid on as well after we've missed ours, but. You, you sort of have to every now and then you have to sort of pull yourself back and go, well, what would this look like? You know, a, dr- a draw away to a well-coached uh, Brighton side uh, that you know, Dave's already given loads of praise to uh, without Manchester City existing like they do right now. That should be a fine result. Um, I, I think you know, the, the, how they've distorted things makes it feel much worse um, than perhaps it probably would be ordinarily. Uh, but we know we know the margins here and we sort of knew the margins when the transfer window closed and we hadn't made a uh, sort of defensive midfield signing that perhaps that would come back to bite us a little bit. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to feel too deflated by this. I think there's still loads of promise from today's performance that we can, we can hang on to, but there are some things here as well that give us a good example of what not to do uh, in the games ahead. God bless both of your cotton socks for trying to cheer me up, but I still feel incredibly deflated and it, it's, it's the, re- <laughs> it's the reason <laughs> it's the reason I can't be happy with uh, with the point myself at the moment is because of the context of the defeat against Spurs and it, 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 regardless of what happened, regardless of the injustice, blah blah blah. You need to then be cynical enough, and this is where I want us to be: to be cynical enough, yeah. to be clinical enough to come and get this win today, and take those, as you said earlier on, take the game away from them when we have the swing in our favour and just kill can it. Can I just can I just point out though, like we've taken one point from the last two games, yeah. we're third in the league, we're three points off top. So, like, I'm seeing a lot of doom and gloom on Twitter at the moment. Little bit of con- little bit of context here. We're third in the league. Yeah, three points off top. I and, get that. I get and that. We haven't started the season well in terms of performance level. But li- li- how many times have you and I on this show 
pretty much concurred that all we want is trophies in the fucking cabinet. And that means... 100% that Trev, but I also think we need to be realistic here. We no. were dog shit last season. Yeah. You don't go from dog shit to winning the league. You just don't. We're not winning the league this year. The aim has got to be top four and go and win those cups. Go and win those cups. That's where the silverware can come from this year. How like, dare you, sir? How dare you? I want to win the league. <laughs> that, I, I want to win the league as well. But that that group of cheating cons in, in, in Manchester yeah. mean that even if we're perfect, like we've been near perfect in two seasons in the last four, last five, and finished second by a point because we're going up against an unprecedented team who've cheated at such a scale that it's been a decade of investigations and charges and all sorts. No, we've never seen anything like that. Not, not from a footballing point of view, from an operations point of view. Like they cheat on such a scale that there's currently 115 charges against them up until the point the investigation started, which is about four years ago now, forgetting everything that would come after that and everything that came before the period that they investigated. Like, this is a crowd that have been cheating for 15 years and getting away with it. And that's what we're dealing with. When Mourinho spoke about football heritage a few years ago, City's heritage for this team is 15 years of cheating, leading them to where they are, which is with this super team of, of unbelievable talent up and down, loads of depth, loads of quality and unlimited money to spend, unlimited wage ability. No one else has ever had that. And for us to have gone toe-to-toe three times with them, beaten them once comfortably, but we were like near perfect in 97, or 97 points in 1819. We were, we were unbelievably good that year. The year we, we, we almost got the, got the quadruple. We were unbelievable. So we've been perfect and not won the league. This team isn't perfect. It's flawed. So that's why I just don't have that expectation of winning the league this year. I'd love to be surprised. Nothing would be better because I've gone into seasons in the past thinking we can win the league here. You know, 18, 19, 19, 20, 2021, 21, 22. All four of those. And even last year, to a slight extent, you had that sort of idea in your head. It was five years in a row where you went in thinking, we can win the league this year. This season, I've chosen not to think we can win the league because then I'm not going to be disappointed. But also because I do have to be realistic and, and look at our squad and think, we do lack depth in, depth in certain areas. We don't have a specialist number six. And you win nothing in the modern game. In fact, you've won nothing at any stage of football going back to the 50s without an elite, elite holding midfielder. It, the only team who've won the European Cup without an elite holding midfielder is that Bayern team who won it in the year in the weird year with no fans. You but see, like, they uh, still had great midfield players. You see the cheating bastards you were talking about a second ago? Yeah. They lose 33% of their games without Rodri. 33% of the games that Rodri doesn't play, they lose. So even at that level, with all the real extras that they've got going on in terms of unfair advantages... Even they can't manage yeah. with that exclu- that that specialist. And, and before him, it was Fernandinho. Yeah. And when Pep was at Bayern, he had Javi Martinez. And when he was at Barca, he had uh, Busquets. Like, there's a reason all of these 
great managers, including our own. Like, there's a reason when we lost that European Cup final to Real in 2018, the very first thing we did was go and buy Fabinho. It's a best. It's a best way for us to get into the team today because the way we line up, Dave, and I'll, I'll stick with you for Liverpool and go to Harry for Brighton. The way we line up today, um, Trent comes back in, and I think an awful lot of us might have might have been, you know, quite content to see Joe keep his place there and have a regular four four two. We. Don't do that. We bring Trent in and we go with the ongoing experiment that makes us look quite funny at times when you look at the layout on the pitch. This is not, and I want to be very clear about this, this is not some sort of um, I fear change thing on my part. I just absolutely dread this experiment. I don't find any benefit to it. I feel it's it's all downside. Um, we go with Matip and Van Dijk, Ibu again. And not getting his start. Robertson is obviously on the far side, having been rested in midweek. The midfield, and this is where our segue comes in, is McAllister sitting in the um, sixth position with Sabozlai and Elliott. Sabozlai being switched to the left to uh, accommodate Harvey Elliott, who, again, much and all as I like him as a footballer and would love to see him regularly in our attack is not a midfielder on the left on the right hand side of midfield and we went with the only three attacking players that we have which is Salah, Nunes and Diaz there was nothing on the bench to change that up with the exception of Ben Doak who isn't a Premier League starter in any way shape or form so a couple of things there Dave that are interesting shouts from the off and you could say possibly contributed to the confusion that seemed to be rife in the team in terms of we were second to most things in that first half. First of all, going with Trent. Uh, second of all, going with Mack in the six. Third of all, inverting Dom to the far side so you can accommodate a non-midfielder on the right-hand side where Dom had been absolutely world-beating. It's all very odd. It's very odd. And look, there's let's let's start at the back um i don't have a big issue with ebu not starting because i think joel matip was outstanding at spurs and outstanding against west ham and ebu is is currently in the rotation for the midweek games now i think when we come out of the international break that probably switches and it's probably matip and kwanza for the next europa league game and ebu back in for the premier league so don't have an issue with that don't have an issue with robo and obviously ali's ali's ali I do take issue with, with Trent starting at right back because Joe Gomez has been in brilliant form. He was great against Spurs. He was great against West Ham. He has been tremendous over the last couple of weeks. And he's finally fit and in the best vein of form we've seen him in since before he blew out his knee. And Matoma has routinely embarrassed Trent. Routinely. And we've seen with Trent at times over the last... 15 months or so, he just doesn't necessarily look like he wants to be playing at right back. He doesn't look like he wants to be chasing wingers up and down. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, 
and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. And I don't feel like we're getting the full commitment form from him. And today is kind of understandable as well because he's just back from a hamstring injury. But I would have really liked to have seen Joe Gomez play at right back. Now, you compound the issue of playing the weaker defensive player at right back by playing a defensive liability on the right-hand side of midfield. And for all the good things Harvey Elliott does, and many of them get blown up like, oh, well, he's got the best build-up numbers in the team. Per 90, he does because he's aided by the fact that he plays largely in small bursts. It's like when James Milner had the best per 90 distance covered in the team because he was only playing 10 and 15 minutes. So he could come on and run a lot in that time and then people would extrapolate it out over 90 and go, oh, Milner's a machine. But when you'd see him play half an hour, he'd be bollocksed after 25 minutes. It's the same thing with Harvey. He's great in short bursts. He's great against tiring defences. He's good against tiring midfields when he can just run off the back of them. But he's a defensive liability. And not only is bringing him in adding a defensive liability to the midfield, like you said, it's not just the one change. It's not just Curtis out, Harvey in. It's Curtis out, Dominic in, Dominic out, Harvey in. Because you change, our wide midfield roles are not the same position. They're asked to do different things. So you're making two changes to make one change, which is never a good idea. I don't really understand why Ryan Gravenberg couldn't have started. If you did want to make two changes to cover the one change you need to make, then surely the logical thing was Alexis as the eight and Endo as the six. Or you could have played Trent in midfield. Like, there were just better options than playing Harvey Elliott in there against a team that you know are primarily an attacking team and their biggest threat is down their left side. Yeah, that's You like- know Mo's not going to cut not going to come back every single time. So normally it's a stupid, and when it's not him, it's Lamptey, and when it's not him, it's Solly March. And Solly March has been the most improved player in the Premier League, bar none, in the last 15 months. He has been brilliant, and he's been brilliant everywhere Deserby has asked him to play. Primarily he plays right, uh, right wing. He's played right wing back, left wing back, left back, left wing, centre midfield, and as a 10. He's just one of those players that can do everything pretty well. Same as Pascal Grouse, who plays a bunch of positions with him as well, and is probably the second most improved player in the league over the last 15 months. But when you've got March there, you know he's going to be coming forward because he's a naturally attacking player. You know you've got Matoma, who's maybe the best 1v1 player in the league. And your decision is to play the weaker defensive right back, a defensive liability in midfield, and Mo. Like, to combat them. And it's no surprise. Like they rinsed us down that side first half. And then second half, they did it again. So I do, I I, I do take issue with the fact that like, it's not, it's nothing against Harvey. It's not his fault. Like he's still a very young player, but he's not a midfielder. And very few things drive me mad more than when people say, Oh, but look at Bernardo Silva and David Silva. Well, first of all, Bernardo Silva was playing right wing until he was 25 years of age. It was only when he grew up and became a man and developed core strength 
and move to Manchester City, whose style of play enable him to play in midfield. Bernardo Silva couldn't really play in midfield for a lot of other teams because they don't control the ball the way City do. He'd have a lot more defensive work. There'd be a lot more physicality to deal with. David Silva didn't move into central midfield until he was about 30. Like, he was a winger or a 10 all the time before that. So this idea that, well, Harvey can do it because they did it. They did it much later in their careers when they were established, when they were already proven world-class talents who were performing week on week on week. They had done their development work. His development work isn't even close to being done. He's got years of development ahead of him. And maybe in five or six years, you could put Harvey Elliott into, into a certain midfield. But every time he plays there now, from the start, he's a liability against good teams. And we saw it all the last year when Klopp kept shoehorning him in. And again, it's not his fault. So I don't want to come across that I'm criticising the player. It, this is the manager's issue. The manager is making a mistake, but every time he puts him there, and especially even put him there with Alexis as the six, like if it was Dom and Elliot and, I don't know, let, let's just say we, we've gone out and bought Czech Dukure in the summer. Fair enough, because Dukure is good enough defensively, strong enough that you can get away with having Elliot in there. But you can't when you've got Alexis in there. And there's no, no surprise that we just got played through so often in the first half. Yeah, a, a lot of odd calls. And, and, uh, to look quickly at Brighton, uh, who were so impressive, uh, on the afternoon and I guess have been in general with the exception of slapping they got last week, 6-1. Um, they went with Verbruggen, Harry, uh, who we had been linked with over the summer. Uh, Veltman, Igor, Dunk and Gross, uh, Solly March, Balaba, Adingra, um, who again was new to a lot of us, João Pedro, Matoma and Evan Ferguson, a very solid looking team. And, and, and their bench equally looks like it's got something about it. Like, I mean, they're not exactly, um, as Dave was saying earlier on, they're very much in a top six band. They have Webster on there, Dahoud, Gilmore, Lalana, Welbeck, Steele, Van Heck, who came on, Fatty, who came on and Hinchelwood. Um, and obviously we know they're missing one or two. So it's not a bad squad to say the least. I am aware that you obviously were looking ahead to this one with your yeah. guest during the week. And I was interested to hear, um, cause you're always, it's always interesting to hear what people from, um, other clubs think about their club, which is obviously one of the big selling points of your show. Um, and unsurprisingly, <laughs> I was a very happy camper you were talking to. Um, what did you make of Brighton today and what kind of insights have you gotten from your chat um, during the week? Yeah, we had Alan on from uh, from Ali and Raw. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought it was good. He was he was great value, actually. I mean, as you say, it was um, there was there was quite a lot of praise for, I thought, some some of the things Liverpool have done over the summer as well. But he's talking about the, the fact that obviously the big the big piece of work this season is the fact that they're having to. You know, sort of replace the engine room of what they've what they've sold in McAllister and Caicedo, and not only recruit players to fill those roles, but then to try and replace the dynamic that existed between those two players as well, who really complemented each other 
like so nicely. So I think that he, there's still some fine tuning to be done. And uh, yeah, he was he was fairly fairly comfortable with the fact that yeah they got slapped in the previous game um, and things were a little bit you know more unsteady this season. I think they were um, top scorers before this weekend, and but they'd also considered the third most goals in the league as well. So. Yeah, a, a little bit uneven and some fine tuning to be done, but given the journey they've been on, I think there's there's very few complaints from 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 Brighton fans about you know, having to sort of you know go through this process for a little bit longer. I think there's there's obviously a lot of faith in Deserby uh, and a huge confidence in the operation that's going on there around yeah bringing in players that are going to fit those roles, finding replacements. And yeah, you can tell it's a well-oiled machine, and fans are. Fans are confident with that as well. So he did mention the fact that actually, unlike a few managers this season, I've seen some Arsenal fans right like criticizing Arteta for the lack of rotation um, at times so far this season. It's perhaps led to some of the injuries they've suffered. Saka's obviously out today. Um, I mean, it's, it's been <laughs> been quite different for Deserbi. It seems to have no no issue uh, making a large number of changes. Yeah, maybe it's the confidence he has in his players, um, the the coherence of the style that they're playing with. That your players can come in and they might not be as good as the the, the players they're replacing, but they they understand their role within the system. And I think six changes today was it from from the Europa League game against Marseille, which again sort of showed that spirit, right? That the two 0 down, a very intimidating place to go, could easily have crumbled, I suppose, and end up coming back to. To, to snatch a late draw in that, which does tell you a lot about sort of the um, the the desire of that group of players, and, and that was a, a changed group as well. I think Lamptey was starting there. I think Dahoud may have played as well, um, well back maybe on the day. So yeah, we see Pedro come in, Adingra, who looks uh, like is another very smart piece of of scouting. It was, it was a real handful today. Baleba, who's obviously the, the the player that was brought in with the hopes of. Um, eventually replacing maybe what Caicedo brought to the side as well. And there's a few stalwarts in there. We, we know the likes of Pascal Gross, um, Lewis Dunk, Solly March, that sort of Dave was um, sort of referring to, who I really do agree has just come on leaps and bounds yeah. over the past past um, like what, six, seven months, eight months, perhaps longer actually. Igor gets a debut um, and he was sort of <laughs> Got one in the face as well, uh, but yeah, it's 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 a settled it's it's not settled right. You're making all these changes, but they're they're confident on what they have to do and their roles in the side. And yeah, I just thought that it was seriously impressive <laughs> the way in which they start that game, having made so many changes. Uh, we've seen when we do that, you know, at times it can take a little a little bit of time for us to get going, can be disjointed. Uh, but I thought from the off they. You know, they looked like they everyone knew what they were doing uh, and uh, they didn't seem to suffer any ring rust. And can I ask you, um, I know Kloppo did a, a Bob Paisley in the in the uh, run up to this game and threw a little bit of toffee yeah. uh, towards um, Brighton in terms of talking about how they were the best coached team. I think Dave's already uh, referenced yeah. that quote earlier on. And I found that a very interesting approach and it may well just reflect and it seemed to judging by the way in which the two managers were interacting that there is a, a level of, of respect there from Klopp towards Deserby. a lot of people are very very high on Deserby in terms of um his abilities was your man Alan uh in yeah. the same camp and for those of us who perhaps uh are not in the dark but 
not 100% clear, not having seen as much as others will have of the Zerbi's um, teams and what exactly it is that he does. What is it that he was able to witness happening to his club under this guy's watch? Yeah, so I think yeah, he's he's definitely uh, definitely a fan of the Zerbi. I think I think the majority of Brighton fans uh, are in that camp. Uh, I, I, he was he was at pains to sort of emphasise that uh, Potter, who doesn't tend to get a lot of um, sort of credit these days, I suppose, had had made it so that a, a lot of the foundations were there to just to to build upon, uh, and that perhaps if if some of that groundwork hadn't been done by Potter, it may have taken someone like Deserby longer for his methods to have actually borne fruit. Uh, he also mentioned the fact that when Deserby came in, is quite lucky around that that break that um, that we had. I think it was around maybe. Is it the was it the Queen's death or something that that that, that led to their, their there being a break or I forget what it was but there was a three week period where Queen's death and then there was an international break that was it right so he, he gets that mini preseason with these players that he ordinarily wouldn't have got he would have been jumped straight into it uh, and we could see even when he when when we played them in the first game he managed that there was he's already managed to get a lot of his methods through to the players uh, in terms of what Deserby brings. Um, he didn't go into too much detail about sort of his, his previous work, but I think it was the obvious emphasis on more attacking, um, sort of more attacking quality, like more deci- being more decisive in those attacking, um, attacking moves, which perhaps we didn't see from, from Potter's side that was sort of, sort of so heavy on possession and sort of like putting things together, but ultimately seemed to lack that ability to, like put the finishing touches to things in the in the final third. So yeah, he's obviously mentioned an emphasis on attack um, and an emphasis on yeah, but like playing from out the back without any sort of issues. If something does go wrong, um, you're going to be sort of like dropped for a few weeks. That the, the players had the confidence of the manager to play that way uh, and you know like deal with the consequences effectively. Yeah, I, I, that's, it, it is interesting to watch. And obviously, it's interesting to watch the ref. I'm not sure if he even deserves a full ref watch. Uh, there's a couple of instances we're going to have to talk about Anthony Taylor. Maybe we'll leave it to that because honestly, like, it's fucking Anthony Taylor. We've, like, too much. We too knew many, what we were getting, didn't we? We knew what we were getting. Too many sentences have been spoken about that particular helmet for, uh, for too long. So let's just. Can, move I, can it. I just say, though, it is, you know what it is with him? It's, it's the arrogance of him that gets me. It's the the look of disgust when players dare question his decision. And this little shake of the head, like, you know, I know best. That's what it get what gets me. Even when he went over to book Deserby, he goes over and rather than listening to the manager or explaining to the manager why it's not a penalty, because that's what Deserby lost his rag over was the the one where it bounced up off Van Dyke's knee and hit him in the arm. Rather than just explain it to him which is all he's looking for is an explanation as to why it's not a penalty. If he explained it to him, there's no need to walk over, give him a look as if he's beneath you and then book him like nobody. And I promise you this. I used to go to Brighton. I had a season ticket to Brighton for a couple of years when I lived, lived in Hove. Now it wasn't the Brighton we see now. It was the old Brighton at the old stadium and they were shit. And I watched some really turgid football, but it was something to do with a Saturday. There's not one person in that stadium today, not one, who paid in to watch Anthony Taylor. Nobody has paid in to watch him. None of us have tuned in to watch that game to see him. But he is of the opinion that he's the guy. 
Like, he's the central focus of the game. And he is a primary example of what's wrong with modern referees. We always say on this show, if you don't know the ref, don't notice the referee, the referee's done his job. And that's always been the way, especially me and you, Trev, we're that bit older. You were always told, if you don't notice the referee, the referee's had a good game. Every time Anthony Taylor referees a game, you notice him because he makes you notice him because he wants to be at the center of the attention. And that's where refereeing has gone wrong. Like, Kalina is the greatest referee that any of us have seen. But you couldn't name the games he refereed because he wasn't noticed. He just managed the game, didn't take any shit, and the players just got on with it. He intervened when he had to. This guy intervenes when he wants to and makes a show of things. And that is my issue with Anthony Taylor and a number of the others, but him today especially, because I just thought he tried to make it about himself again. And we saw another example, I think, as we'll find later on, uh, of the backroom boys and protecting their mate. Um, if you haven't seen, by the way, folks, just for pure entertainment value, if you haven't seen Paul Merson uh, have an absolute mind explosion um, on on, uh, on uh, the Saturday uh, show that they do there on Sky where they're all following the matches, uh, when Mike Dean starts talking absolute shite uh, about the law, um, it's it's worth it's worth popping into your YouTube just to see it. And actually, it's the law, Trev. It's the law. Okay, it's the law. It's the law. And for for once in Paul Merson's very 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 uh, regularly incorrect life, he was actually spot on. And Mike <laughs> Dean looked like a, a, an absolute imbecile. But of course, uh, Merson is the one who comes out looking like a like a dope. But you know, he was making a valid point. Anyway, let's get into this game and let's get into the details of this game and. Um, Dave, we'll, we'll, we'll start yourself, yourself and myself with the, 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 the lead up to us going one down. And if we're honest, we're kind of under the cosh a little bit, under the cosh, perhaps a little bit of strong phrase, but they have definitely got the upper hand and there's a bit of pinball going on on the, on, on the fourth minute, um, of a corner, um, and Virgil has to put it out for another corner and then there's another corner and then actually there's a decent break by Dom into Darwin uh, we get a free on the left hand side in five minutes which nothing accrues from Joel Matip I thought was solid in this period of time and there was a lovely clearance stroke pass that he makes on the 11th minute as they are like I say looking more threatening than us but there are no real incidents of note par- bar that before they go ahead on the 20th minute that's a full, like almost 10 minutes from, from that Joel Matip clearance of nothing much happening except they seem to be, have their tails up and they seem to be capable of, um, we're, we're actually both teams are trying to do the same thing, Dave, in terms of we're going to try and play it out from the back. We're going to try and invite you on and we're going to try and make hay from the, from the resultant chaos, which occurred for both sides. So you can see where the tactics were on that. And we're the first ones to cave actually, because when Adingra puts them one nil up on 20 minutes, there's a ball out from the back by Virgil into McAllister. Now to be fair to McAllister, who's absolutely getting down the glen about this, he is surrounded by three players and yeah. they do place the press on. If I'm Mac there, I don't want the ball there. And even if he's showing for it, I don't think it was the correct decision by Virgil to do that. However, 
we had kind of played ourselves into a corner at that stage. And I'm not sure Barr putting his foot through it, what else there was on, maybe go back to the keeper again. I don't know. I think it is a combo myself personally. Interested to hear your take on it. Anyway, Adingra uh, slips in on this uh, sloppiness uh, in terms of, of, of McAllister not being awake to the pass or Virgil playing a pass that shouldn't have been played. And he gets in and shoots early. Um, and it's low. Yeah. And it's not even in the feckin' corner. And no, Ali's, man, Ali's position is poor as well. Like, like the greatest, the greatest keeper we've ever had. And he's mm. sort of flailing at this thing. He's at full stretch, Dave, and he's still not able to reach it. And it's nowhere near the corner. So it's a bit of a clusterfuck of a goal to concede all round. It is. And it's funny. I, I was chatting to a friend of mine during the first half and we were saying, like, we're trying to play them at their game here. We're trying to invite them on yeah. to then play through them, which is what they do. And they do it brilliantly because that's what they do. It's not what we do, but we were trying to do it. And they're too good to try and play their style against them. That goal is just, it's, it's three individual errors. Um, Ali is obviously quite high out, has the ball at his feet has some options, turns and plays it to Virgil. I don't think Virgil necessarily wanted that ball. No. Then Virgil plays it into Alexis. And like you said, there's three of them at different angles, all of them coming at him blind. So he can't see where any of them are coming from. It's under hit as well. Like if Virgil had fired it into his feet, Alexis might just have been able to clip it around the corner first time. And maybe they win it back, but they win it back on halfway. And we're behind the ball set to defend against them. Adingra jumps the pass, does brilliantly to, to pick it up, drives. And then Ali has set himself. Ali's gotten back in, but, and he set himself, but he set himself way too far to one side. And he's not in a central position. And Adingra just looks at the goal and goes, Jesus, there's a huge gap there. And like you said, it's not in the corner. It's not really powerfully hit. Like, it's a side-footed slap of the ball more than anything. It's not what walloped. And Ali's positioning is just not, not where it should be. So I would say, I would actually say equal blame between all three of them. Because I think Ali puts Virgil under pressure the first time. Although, Virgil still has enough time to make a different choice. I would actually put the least amount of blame on Alexis. Yeah. Because I just think it's a hospital pass. Agreed. Like it's, it's under hit and he's got men coming home to him from different angles. Even if he does control it, the likelihood is he's getting tackled instantaneously. So maybe he wins a free kick. That's your best outcome there. If Virgil had fired it into him, maybe he can clip it first time. So I would say more blame on Virgil of the three then I would say Ali because the pass to Virgil was unadvisable and then his positioning is really poor and then Alexis would be the third one I'd blame and I'm seeing Alexis get an awful lot of stick on Twitter and it's just it's winding me up a bit because like he's not a six he just isn't he didn't play as a six for Brighton he played in a double pivot for Brighton the majority of which was with Moises Caicedo, who is a ball-winning midfielder, who is that defensive presence in there. So, 
like for us to play him as this lone six, especially with Harvey Elliott, who doesn't offer anything defensively, we're just asking far too much of him. Let's the have commentator. A- the commentator today said Klopp said he doesn't know what his best position is yet. Uh, Everybody knows what his best fucking position is, Jurgen. Let's, like, let's not pretend he's not playing there because you fucked up in the summer and didn't get the holding midfielder in that you needed. Oh, but we are. Most people are pretending that at this stage. And let's have it right as well. Matt continued to take the ball, surrounded the yeah. footballers, and with his back to, um, with his facing, facing his goal for the entirety of the match and continued to be brave and tried to turn and was successful most of the time. Yes, lost the ball a lot of the time, but he continued to try to do the job. And I guess what I'm getting at here, Dave, before I move on to the rest of the first half with Harry is, there's a bit of galaxy brain going on from Liverpool coaching staff here because, first of all, you've got this clearly not not uh, advisable experiment of playing this lad as a as a defensive midfielder against a team who's going to attack the shit out of you. Again, it's not a great idea unless you're going to load up the team in a way that protects them. We didn't do that. We did the opposite. So that's item number one. And item number two is, as you said, we're trying to do a them on it. Now, actually, later on, we do. And later on, we actually exploit them doing them in the same way as they've just done it to us. Yeah, And that's great. But why are we pricking around with this? And 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 you see where I'm going with this kind of galaxy brain stuff. It's just like it, it, we often say, we've seen it in the past, you see Pep Guardiola would come up, come up against Klopp and he would shit the bed because he overthinks it. Yeah. And it just felt today like our staff, Jurgen, I guess, is the man on point. So we just have to point to him. However, it's shared in terms of the division of ideas and the division of decision making. Uh, ultimately, it'll come down to Jurgen. It just felt overthought, didn't it? Oh, massively. But like the book on how to exploit Brighton has been written. It's been written by Sean Dyche, David Moyes, Unai Emery and Eddie Howe. And, and Steve Cooper, to be fair, at Forest. They're the managers who've beaten Brighton by two goals or more under Deserby. And they all have a couple of things in common. They play a very solid back four. They put some graft in midfield and they play a physical pacey number nine. So with Forest, you've got a one E. With the tune, you've got both Callum Wilson and Isaac. So whichever one of them starts. West Ham have Mikel Antonio. Everton have Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and obviously um, Villa have Ollie Watkins. Each of them basically mirrored each other with what they did against Brighton. How they they wait. So with Brighton, what they're looking to do when they slow the game down and one of the centre backs or the goalkeeper puts his foot in the ball. That's that's a sign. That's a signal. If if they put their foot in the ball, they're telling all their all their teammates to just to lapse, to sit sit back in. We're going to wait for them to press us now, and then we're going to play through them. So Deserby has has been quite open about that. That's the foot on the ball is basically a signal. Right, everybody settle in and get ready because as soon as they they press on us, we're playing through this press and we're gone the other way. And what all of those teams that have had real success against Brighton have done is they haven't pressed them. They've just stood off. And they said, we're not going to make that decision for you. We're not going to give you that first pass. 
you're going to have to find that first pass. And in the second half, when we had that, or it, well, for, for, for our, our second goal, we sat off them a little bit and made them play the first pass. And then we sprang on that first receiver. Rather than going to the ball player, we went to the receiver and we took the ball of him. Exactly what they did, rather than pressing Virgil, they waited for Virgil to play the pass to Alexis and then they jumped him. Yeah. But these teams have kind of set a blueprint for this is what you do against Brighton. If you want to have success, this is what you do against them. Now, you have to ride your luck as well because against Everton, you play that game 10 times over. Brighton probably win six or seven of them. The West Ham game, they probably win eight or nine of them. Like, they outplayed West Ham. West Ham had to ride their luck and defend really well. But that is how you cause Brighton problems. And there's a bit of a snobbishness with the top clubs who still look at Brighton as one of the the minnows of the league and that you don't want to go there and not necessarily park the bus, but be that more defensive-minded team, sit in and wait for them to come to you as opposed to trying to go and take the ball off them. And then using a more direct style of play, because that's, again, what what all of those teams that, that have hammered Brighton under the Zerbi have done is they've gone direct. And we have those direct options. Trent long to Darwin, Trent long to Mo, Dominic long to Darwin. Like we can do that to, to a team like Brighton. And we choose not to. We choose not to go direct. Whereas we used to. Like you go back to some of the classic games between us and City in 17, 18, 18, 19. We used to go direct a lot over the top of them to Mane and Mo. And it seems like we've gone away from that. Like we've become obviously a much more possession based team and we're trying to be, I think, something that, that, that grates against the, the true being of a Jurgen Klopp team. Like there's too, not to say there's too much of a Dutch influence, but there's, you can tell Linder's fingerprints are all over this tactical game plan. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, what we have in common with those teams you mentioned in, in that era is, is a very solid back four. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's just, that's why just, not use it? Why not use it? It's just, like I said, galaxy brain stuff. Um, Harry, the, the reaction after the goal in the first half is interesting. Mm. We do put together a pretty beautiful first touch move on 23 minutes, which ends with Mo doing one of those curling, curling shots that is, is, is wide of the left hand post as he's facing it. Um, but in the immediate aftermath that we're mostly a mess, we're second to nearly everything. And they are doing that thing of inviting us, inviting us, inviting us. And then they pre- that when they break, they're able to 
look like they're first to everything and they're playing balls around the corner and balls into space and we just look a bit of a mess at one stage it's a complete joke shop Balaba runs unchallenged the length of the pitch Harry as we're just backing off nobody's going to ball I was literally in convulsions of horror shouting at my television go to the ball he ends up being allowed to just make his way all the way up to shooting zone and he pulls a low shot narrowly wide can't probably believe he's actually in a position to do that that's on the half hour 31 minutes around then silly foul by McAllister in 37 again sort of he's sort of overpowered um uh, it looked to me honest to be honest it looked like Virgil had it covered it was that's why I think it was a bit of a silly move by McAllister but again it's that thing of this guy in this position is not a natural fit. They get a central free, which eventually breaks to a Dingra, and he has a kind of a floaty cross shot that's narrowly over Ali's bar, but he has it well covered. And then all of a sudden, Harry, it's almost it's almost a, a, a smash and grab. It does feel like a bit of a mugging. We go one all um, on 40 minutes. Uh, it is Mo Salah. Dominic plays the ball into Darwin, who helps it on to Mo and... Uh, Harvey Elliott sort of gets out of the way as the ball makes its way across to Mo. He's coming from the right towards the left and finishes it first time with his left foot into the way he's facing. It's a lovely goal, beautiful move. Um, immediately afterwards, we saw Dominic nipping in on a keeper's pass out from the back. And as he chases it down, he's pulled down by Pascal Gross. Uh, and there is a penalty awarded. Now, you, you're getting uh, quite a lot of in- incidents to deal with here, and I'm sure uh, they will want to jump in at the end as well. Um, because this penalty, you, I know you're going to have a lot to say to it. I'm going to leave you teed up if you don't want <laughs> there, <are, laughs> there are things to say here. But, of course, the upshot is anyway that Mo steps up and strikes it beautifully home uh, with pace into the left-hand side of the net, and we go into one up um, at halftime, probably richly undeserved however talk to us around about that period um the second half of the second half and the two goals and i know we need to talk and get back to uh anthony taylor and his pgmol cohort as well yeah there's no escaping there's no escaping them uh yeah i was i was happy with the response i thought again this this, this resilience that we've shown uh across the game so far this season and that um, yeah, we, we sort of can, well, not shake ourselves into rhythm or, or, or anything like that, but I think we sort of uh, remembered that, okay, if we give certain people the ball in certain areas, they can influence things in an attacking sense for us. I mean, Sobosh is one of them. I think, yeah, the, the pressing for the first goal, but even before that, there were a couple of nice combinations where we nearly got in. Um, slick, quicker passing, which was one of the issues I, I thought in the first half as well, was just too slow, uh, allowed Brighton to be a bit, bit set and um there was i mean i, I think to, to touch on dave's point i think there was definitely a, a clearly a sense that we'd we'd overthought this game uh, i don't really understand why we substituted endo at halftime in the europa league game um or took him off earlier at least to, to everything sort of signaled that we were preparing to sort of play him today um, yeah. and you'll see comments in the post-match as well from alexis who's obviously a fantastic like He's a fantastic character anyway. Right? He's, he's, he's never going to say anything other than I'm, I'm trying my best and you know, you know, I like the role, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Gun pointed to his head off off camera or whatever. But yeah, he's, he's, he's obviously a very diligent. He's, he's going to apply himself to this as much as he possibly can. And um, he, 
uh, yeah, it's just just not natural to him. So I, I did feel as though it was a shame that we weren't just focusing on what, what we know we can do best. Because I thought in the moments when we did that, you could see that, yes, we're aware of the gaps in this side, but the the strengths that they have uh, were capable of hurting anybody. And when we did focus on those trends, we were a bit more direct, quicker in our passing. They were, they're finding it very, very difficult to live with us, I thought. And it was just a case of us getting the final ball right. And I thought then we, we, we would get in. So to see Salah um, back two goals right right before halftime, I thought like somewhat undeservingly. Uh, I mean, but it's again, it's it's something we've gotten used to, right? In terms of like we can we can lose the tactics for nearly 45 minutes, but uh, as long as, as long as we're able to actually provide, uh, you know, one of the greatest players we've, we've had with opportunities, you know, nine times out of ten he won't let you down. He'll take those opportunities uh, and you know cry later on about the fact that it's unfair or unjust. I mean that's that's who he is. So first goal, yeah, uh, really happy with that, and just wanted to make a, a, a small note actually that a player that we could easily sort of get through the game without giving credit to. And I thought, yeah, didn't have one of his noisiest games today, if you want to sort of describe it that way. Not not the not the chaos theory Darwin that perhaps we've been used to in the past, but I did feel as though there were a lot of good things that Darwin did today in terms of his link play, holding the ball up in sort of difficult situations, bringing Mo into play, uh, bringing others into play as well. Things that we criticised him for last season that, that wasn't necessarily the neatest or tidiest with. You can see there's been an improvement there, I think, uh, and that was really good to see today. Just a shame you couldn't be on the end of one of the one or two more of the chances we we created. Um, the penalty, as well, uh, we finally made our way around to it. Uh, yeah, delighted to see him put it away so nicely. Uh, and so yeah, the debating point then. So I, I should say as well before before I go into this, um, I'm trying to multitask a little bit by keeping one eye on this. Uh, other game that's going on today, uh, which is obviously City versus uh, Arsenal. And I have to say, um, like, by the way in which the officials have applied the rules this season about what constitutes a red card and what doesn't and how we slow down things on our on our VAR replays to make them look worse than they are uh, in the game, uh, there is zero reason whatsoever that Ko- <laughs> Kovovic uh, should still be on the pitch in the game that's going on whilst, we, whilst we're speaking. Um, so that's obviously sort of raised my temperature a little bit as well because there's just zero consistency from these guys at all. A weekend later after the apologies have been made and the assurances about better process have been given, uh, that just the consistency just completely evades them. Uh, and again, uh, Mike Dean, uh, who I think we talked about pre, pre-show, maybe even during the pod, you know, the law, the law, yeah, as Paul Merson was, as you say, uh, fulfilling the, you know, the, the worst person in the world makes a good point meme that you see from time to time on the internet. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a clear, it's, I mean, the Sobosh slide goes round. Um, this is the second fastest player in, you know, on record in Premier League history. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he probably reaches the ball and taps it into the open net. I, I, I reckon he's probably going to have have a good chance of scoring there uh, and all that happens is Pascal Gross uh, you know, yanks him back with the shirt pull the shirt pull's seen obviously because it's given for the penalty uh, but uh, he's not even given a yellow card there's like n- no punishment for that other than the penalty and so you hear these things like oh double jeopardy or these these, these rules that this, the context that gets applied uh, that, yeah, and, and we're looking, we have to look up the rules which is exhausting and boring but yeah, you can see the rule is effectively if a player makes an offence 
against an opponent where they're, where they're denying a clear goal scoring opportunity and there's no attempt to actually play the ball or challenge for the ball. So in other, in other words, is it a cynical attempt just to bring a player down? You're not trying to make a challenge for the ball. Um, and the player's going to score. You should be seeing red in that situation. I think it's a pretty clear red card. Um, and there's been some comments that we will we'll come on to maybe towards the end of the pod from Deserby. Interesting comments around the officiating in the game and his respect for Klopp and um, the fact that, you know, he, he he agreed with the penalty decision and thought that, you know, that actually the, their second goal, it wasn't a foul for the free kick and actually proving himself to be more of a lad uh, and sort of good fella than Big Ange has done over the past uh, week or so since the Spurs game in terms of sort of just actually just calling it as you see it. But no, I thought it was a clear red card. It wasn't sent off. That then drastically changes the flow of the game. Obviously, uh, we, if, if, if they're down to ten men, we I think we we really do take on take control of that game and can assert ourselves. Uh, and so we denied it. We 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 denied it. And I I mean I, I I'd love to see them justify or explain it really because so so David David Lynch has said I'm told the officials felt and you're gonna love this now so prepare yourself. This is magnificent. I've read it. Yeah. I'm told the officials felt Dominic Zabozlai was not denied a goal-scoring opportunity mm. as he was not moving towards goal and would okay. have needed to gain possession of the ball. Now, if you look at the picture that Trev has put in the chat, yeah. Dominic is about one stride from gaining possession of the ball. Mm. He is roughly about 10 yards out. The goalkeeper's out of position, and if he simply swings his left foot at it, he likely scores. It's a goal, yeah. So I don't really buy that. But then I look at that that line. He would have needed to gain possession of the ball. Did Virgil van Dijk not get sent <laughs> off for fouling a lad who wasn't in possession of the ball? Is, yeah. it, is my memory broken on that one? Is that not what happened? That Virgil does, tackled someone who didn't have the ball yet? Does Dominic have to run vertically towards the goal to be... <laughs> I mean, the thing is, Dominic, Dominic is behind the ball. Like, Dominic is, a, is about a yard deeper than the ball as that ball runs across. Dominic is, the the ball is closer to the goal than Dominic is. Therefore, Dominic, to get to the ball, has to move towards the goal. Even if it's diagonally, he's still moving towards the goal. So it doesn't yeah, make famously, sense to me. The famously slow uh, Dominic, Dominic Zabozlai. That's the thing. Yeah. Now, yeah. we talked about Dominic earlier and we mentioned that we moved him out of position today. And, I, I you know, he, he didn't have the same impact today as he has had in other games, especially first half when he was playing on the wrong side. But even in a game where he's not maybe at his very best, he's still the key person for both our goals. You know, it, it's him who starts that move for the first goal. Yeah. And then obviously wins the penalty on the second. I, I agree with what Harry said. I thought uh, Darwin, even in a game where he wasn't necessarily at his very best, they thought there was really good aspects of his game. And you could tell they were terrified of him. Like every time Darwin got the ball, Dunk was dropping five yards. And we didn't make the most of that. We didn't push Dar- Darwin up onto Dunk and have him run in behind, which is where I go back to what I said earlier. There was opportunities for us in this game to go really direct and use Darwin and Diaz and Mo to stretch that defense and really find out what that defense was was made of, and we didn't do it. Um, but I, I don't understand how that wasn't a red card. I'm assuming we will hear in the next 
day or two that the independent panel who reviews such things uh, felt that it should have been a red card. That's what my assumption is. And, like, the thing is, Anthony Taylor has an unobstructed, perfect view of that, that, that incident. Like, as we look at that picture that Travis put in, Anthony Taylor is in that picture. There's nobody blocking his view. He can see from where he is, Dominic's jersey being taken off him. He can see that there's nobody stopping Dominic from scoring. Like, yes, there's a man getting back onto the line. Now, that's not in the picture, but that's what happened. But he's still not getting into a position to stop Dominic from scoring. So The man on the line doesn't prevent an no. obvious goal-scoring opportunity for no. Sabozlai. And, exactly. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's getting to a point now where, I mean, if you factor in what you guys are watching live in the City Arsenal game as well, it really is getting to the point where, um, not fit for purposes is, 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 is a, a, an understatement. It's, it's, it's laughable. And like you said, we, it, it would be actually perfect if during the week we hear again, um, yeah, that should have been a red card. Sorry about that, lads. But sure, we can't do anything about it, us independent guys. We're just here to point out, uh, uh just to make, make things even worse for you during the week. <laughs> you know, it's remarkable stuff. Um, the second half starts and Harry, I'm going to start with you because actually, and this goes back to some than Dave said earlier on where he was talking about opportunities and how um, you know uh, he was talking about decent opportunities and he couldn't think of one and uh, we know Dave Dave missed the first five or so minutes of this second half and in that first three minutes in fact Adingra has an opportunity we made the change at halftime Harry of bringing on Gravenberg for Harvey Elliott and I think most of us would, would have been very very relieved to see that again you raised the point about Endo and his withdrawal during the Europa League game I can't understand what that was about if it wasn't with a view to this one but again he isn't even in the shake-up it's Gravenberg cool and again some patently um I don't know, just grim, uh, outlooked people seem to be on his case thinking he didn't add much. I thought he was really good in terms of being front foot. And, and I heard someone say, for such a big guy, he doesn't have any physical presence. I didn't see any physical presence. I was like, what game are you watching? The guy, I thought the guy was really good when he came on. But anyway, he's off. Uh, he's on for, for Harvey at halftime. And his first couple of touches, I thought were very positive. Again, sort of turning and breaking forward with the ball. On 48 minutes, though, however, Adingra does get in, and it's one of those opportunities that they have a shot on target. He cuts in. Uh, it, to be fair, the ball into him finds him in acres of space over there on that right-hand side, and then he cuts in across Robbo and shoots at Ali, who is fantastic in the 1v1, as we expect. That's a great piece of work from our keeper. Uh, other than that, Adingra is um, getting his second goal. And then, to be fair to Trent, who didn't have too many moments of defensive excellence, he was very good in a 1v1 uh, versus Matoma on 50 minutes. Um, he, he he couldn't boast too many of those this afternoon. He did pretty much get uh, badly rinsed on the regular um, over the course of the second half and first half by Matoma. Um, there was a chance for them on 50 minutes. Ferguson was sort of narrowly over the top with his shot, a kind of a curled effort from the edge of the box. It goes sort of north of the top corner. And on 53, we have an opportunity to put the game to bed. Um, before that, it's worth mentioning that Joel Matip 
got fouled by Matoma. Matoma came in on him and kind of goes through him and Matip's kind of caught in the thigh and the hip and he's down for a couple of minutes. And then every time Joel Matip got the ball in between 50 and 53 minutes, the Brighton fans were booing Joel for being fouled. Remarkable stuff. They obviously thought he was uh, trick acting when he got like hammered by Matoma in that, in that challenge. Um, but Har- we have an opportunity, Harry, to bury the game on 53 minutes. And this is where I want to pause with you as well to talk maybe a little bit about Gravenberg, talk about, you know, how we started that second period. Because on 53 minutes, there's a beautiful flow and move. Um, a ball through to Dom from Darwin and the ball comes across the face of goal. Gravenberg's coming in from the left wing, meeting it with the inside of his right foot. Now, I think an awful lot of um, people have been very harsh here saying, you know, it's a tap in. It's nothing like a tap in. That's a, a ball at pace. You're coming in, trying to just keep it on target at pace yourself. Yeah, he should probably keep it under the bar um you'd like to see him do that but it's a it's a beautiful flowing move and he's unfortunate that his his attempt hits the bar and you know uh, from then on um you're not really sure which way the game's gonna go talk to us about that opening 10 or so minutes of the second half I thought Brighton started pretty well. Uh, I thought you could see again that whatever had been said in the half time had given them, given them impetus to come out and like try and be assertive, try and be attacking again. And Adingra, I mean, I think the, the pass to him and sort of the, the, everything around that move, I think it's, 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 it's Robbo. Uh, and we do have to talk about that and probably come back to him later on, unfortunately, but. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't recognize the very obvious run that's about to happen. And Adingra is already actually sort of sprinting behind him, uh, getting ready for the, for the pass that comes. Uh, he then does realize and obviously sort of like busts, busts a gut to get back in position, but it is then ultimately so easily bypasses all the way, just he checks back in. Uh, Ali does, you know, what, we, what we've come to expect from the best goalkeeper in the world, where he just, you know, makes those 1v1s look very, like look like small chances to be honest, given how often the, uh, how many of them he has to deal with, and 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 how how easily he does tend to deal with most of them. So, um, yeah, I was pleased to see that, especially after, yeah, there may be some some criticism um, of him earlier on for how he he dealt with the the, the Adingra goal that he conceded. But I thought that wasn't wasn't a great goal, sorry, great great chance to, to to concede. To be honest, it felt far too easy for Brighton there, and um, then in terms of that. As I telling ourselves, I thought it was um, Gravenberg. I mean, we spoke about him in, in, in midweek, really, after the Europa League performance. We, we all thought he was probably the standout player in a pretty drab game, looked lively. I can tell there's been that focus on off-the-ball work that, yeah, the the precise nature of the of the pressing is not there yet, but the, the intensity certainly is. The effort is certainly there. Knee uh, entirely on the ball um, has that drive to, to, to get himself past players as well. Like you were mentioning, Trevor, a number of occasions where he sort of anticipated that the contact was coming or that the press was coming and you know, did, did, did a nice neat turn to get himself out of trouble or at the very least win a free kick. So I was quite happy with that. And um, I was a bit surprised to see him, to be honest, and it comes back to the endo point. Because I think I think Cy Brundish had, had sort of highlighted in, in, in midweek that actually he probably shouldn't play because uh, given how he's 
um, gone from playing pretty much no football to suddenly being integrated into the team uh, that he's he was probably in, in the red zone or whatever so the fact that he's the one that's chosen again slightly strange <laughs> I guess but we're just uh, hoping for him to provide an impact and he very nearly did sort of become the perfect super sub, I suppose. Uh, that chance, as you're talking about, I thought, again, Sobosh lie at the heart of it. Nunez plays a nice little pass to him, but it's Sobosh lie is going through the gears. He just motors away from whoever was trying to keep up with him, puts that cross in. It's it's a forceful one. It's not it's not floated, nice and easy to be tapped in. And as you said, he's, he's coming at it at pace on his wrong foot. Uh, you would have hoped him to score, of course. And I think you could see from his reaction as well, he's very annoyed that he didn't sort of convert that as well. But I, I, I felt unsurprisingly we looked better when we brought on a midfielder uh, to play in midfield because uh, naturally that does tend to tends to help. And, and that's not meant to be a sly sort of dig at Elliot, but um, as we've spoken about, he's just not proven at all that he's a clock midfielder. And you know, Gravenberg looked much more at home there. You could, even, you could even see Alexis starting to look a little bit more settled because he was aware of the work that Gravenberg was going to put in. So I, I thought he came out of this game with credit, to be honest. Another good performance. Looked lively. I'm, I'm not sure what, what we can really expect from him in terms of him being fully integrated into how the side is going to play, given how little football he's, you know, he's had. So, yeah, I, I was quite impressed by him. I certainly didn't think he was a lightweight or anything like that. In fairness as well, I've mentioned one good defensive moment by Trent. It's important that yeah. considering, considering we're going to have a couple of, 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 of things to say about the lads on 56 minutes, there was a really good tackle by Robbo to stop a dangerous attack as well. Yes. Um, which, you know, again, credit where it's due, but they bring on Welbeck for Ferguson on 59 minutes and on 62 Van Heck for Igor. Um, and there is a chance for us on 64 minutes. It's a Gravenberg turn and shot saved after a decent ball by Dominic Sabozlai, who's starting to move through the gears a bit on the right-hand side. Now, big foot in by Trent uh, uh, soon after that. And when I say foot in, he's at full stretch to intercept a ball that's about to ping out to, I think, Matoma on the left-hand flank. And Virgil does the business and tidies up, clears our lines. And on 66 minutes, there is a yellow for Dominic Sabozlai. For a foul on March, he kind of follows through, to be fair, and it doesn't look great. So he picks up his yellow 67 minutes. A lovely flowing move ended with a Luis Diaz shot not far off the target. And this point, Dave, I'm just going to point, uh, pause and talk to you a little bit about Luis Diaz. Again, another guy who's coming in for um, quite harsh criticism on the back of today's uh, outing. And D- Luis Diaz is always going to suffer in comparison to prime Sadio Mane anyway and that's that's a yardstick that most people won't be able to sort of get close to if we're being honest because Sadio possibly for at least a couple of years of his Liverpool career was probably our most important player and sort of the 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 linchpin the guy who scored the go ahead goal the guy who was always 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 on the front foot regardless of how his form or finishing was I think it's a bit a bit rich to completely compare and contrast Luis Diaz with him but I heard I saw Sadio uh, or saw um, sorry Harry a few times and several other people say I'd like to see a bit more from Diaz um, during the course of the match and I was in full agreement because this yeah. guy 
he has the ability. And I wonder, did he suffer maybe from how we were set up today? Because like you say, he's there in the ideal position to benefit from more direct attacking. And instead, we were sort of looking to go from side to side and find a situation where he could possibly take on a man 1v1 and possibly pull a ball back. But it was small enough. There was, it was, it was slim pickings for him on the afternoon, I thought. There's a few things to consider here. The first thing is Luis Diaz's role is significantly different to what Sadio Mane's role was. Because Sadio played higher, he played narrower, and he worked from in to out. So he would drift from his central starting point to the wing and then work back into it. Diaz starts a lot wider. A big part of that is who plays as the nine. Sadio had Bobby, who would spend most of his afternoons dropping into midfield to help out, to link play. And that would leave space for Mo and for Mane to run into. Diaz is largely playing with Darwin. And when he's not with Darwin, he's with Jota or he's with Cody. And Cody does a bit of that dropping out into midfield, but not nearly as much as Bobby used to do. So the the role is very different, which means what he's being asked to do is different. Therefore, what's expected of him by the coaching staff is different. Sadio was in the team to get us 18 to 20 goals a season. Diaz is not in the team to do that. Diaz is in the team more to link things and to be more creative. Now, I do agree we need more from him. The other things to consider here are when Sadio Mane was at his best, he had Ginny Wijnaldum at his best behind him. And he had Andy Robertson at his very best from left back. Luis Diaz has not had a Ginny Wijnaldum behind him at Liverpool. He had Thiago, but Thiago, again, does a lot different type of things to Ginny. So, again, that role has changed. It's not a like-for-like swap. And now he's got a rotating cast. And I do think he does quite well when he's got Curtis in there, because I think the two of them tend to link up well, and Curtis can move wide and Diaz can come a bit more central and get more involved. But the biggest thing is the drop-off of Andy Robertson here. Like, I would say, for starters, Robbo and Diaz is not as good a fit as Robbo and Mane, because, again, Mane was playing more inside, in the channel, leaving the flank for Robbo. Diaz plays on the flank, meaning that Robbo oftentimes, when he makes his run... He's the one moving into the channel and underlapping. And that's not working well for either of them. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. 
or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Andy Robertson has also declined enormously over the last couple of years. And I'm, I'm sick to the back teeth of saying it because it looks like I hate, I hate the guy. I love Andy Robertson. He's one of the finest left backs we've ever had. I would say he's probably a top three left back in club history. I would say he's also arguably the third or fourth best left back of the Premier League era for all clubs. Irwin won, Cole two, and then it's probably Robbo. So he's a great, great player, has, has been a great, great player for us. But even good Andy Robertson games now are not a patch of what good Andy Robertson games were two years ago. And it's not Robbo's fault. He has been run into the ground. He has played far too much football. And the way he plays, everything is at high speed. Everything is intensive. Andy Robertson has never just gone out and gotten himself through a game. You know, you see certain players, they can go out and they can sort of manage their way through a game, not really exert too much energy. Andy Robertson doesn't know how to play like that. He only knows how to play one way, which is full speed all the fucking time. And that takes its toll. So while I do agree we need more from Diaz, Comparing him to Mane, and particularly comparing him to what Mane was doing for us, is a completely unfair comparison to make, because the role is different, and the support system is different. The players he's combining with are different different, uh, personnel, but the one guy who's still there is Robbo, and he's just not the same player as he was a couple of years ago. Like, The best game Andy Robertson gives you now is probably a 7 out of 10 from his prime. Yeah, whereas peak Robbo turns uh, Luis Diaz into a world beater. 100%. Peak Robbo allows Diaz to play a bit narrower and gives him more support on the overlap and interchanges with him a lot better. And and it would work if we had that 25, 26-year-old Andy Robertson, but the guy just played a shitload of football since he joined us. He he massively maxed out his talent. Like, we got every little last drop that Andy Robertson had to give us. There is, if his career ends tomorrow, he goes down as an undeniable legend of the club who gave us every single thing he had, who maxed out his ability without question, who way exceeded anyone's expectations. I remember when we signed Robbo, half of Twitter were just arms thrown up in the air. Like, what are we signing a left back from a team that got relegated from? Then he didn't get in the team for the first couple of months. And you had, you know, the usual crazy people who try and make out that the owners are just the worst people in the world. And everything around the club is just the worst thing in the world. And the recruitment staff, despite the track record of brilliance that, that Michael Edwards had, had no idea what they were doing. And they signed Robbo against Klopp's wishes. Klopp doesn't want this guy. Why is he at the club? And then all of a sudden he gets in the team and has never come out of the team. 
because Jurgen knew what he was doing and because Rob was a really good player. Like, I, I just think Diaz with a different type of left back with a more stable presence in midfield. Cause even though Curtis has been in for that run of games, how many different players have played left side of midfield over the last two years, 18 months as we signed Diaz? Thiago, Naby, Henderson, Milner, Elliot, Zabozlai, Alexis, Curtis, and Gravenberg. And I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm missing some. Ox played there as well. So, I mean, you're talking at least nine different players. Besides, 10. 10 different players have played that left side of midfield role since Luis Diaz joined the club. When Sadio was at the club, it was pretty much Ginny Wijnaldum every single week. So you build continuity. You build that relationship. The same with Robbo. That left side was bulletproof. They were in the team every single week. And each of them knew every single intricacy of the other players. And they knew, like they had this telepathic understanding. Then I said, the right side for us got all the hype because of Trent and Mo, but that left side was what was so reliable for us. And having, you know, the greatest centre back anyone's ever seen in pre-injury Virgil there was a massive part of that as well, because you just felt like we could attack endlessly. And you've got Virgil plus Fab to cover across. We're never conceding down that side. Yes. Virgil's not the same player as he was. We don't have any holding midfielder now, let alone a prime Fabinho. As good as the different options we've had on the left side of midfielder, none of them are as good defensively as Ginny Wijnaldum was. None of them are as selfless as Ginny Wijnaldum was. Robbo's not nearly the same player, doesn't offer the same threat. Decision-making's not the same. Physicality's not the same. And again, the role is different, so the expectation and demand is different. So, yes, we need more from him, but I'm not getting into this nonsense that people are doing on Twitter of fucking ripping into him and saying, oh, he's shit. And he's not, she's clearly a really, really good player. Is he yeah. Sadio? No, but like Sadio wouldn't be Sadio. If, if we sign Sadio now... He doesn't become the same player because the team is different and the role will be different. And the team is different and the various roles are different. And actually, I've just seen that. I think I'm fairly sure I'm right in saying that the only goal we conceded on the road this year was the own goal that Joel scored last week. Uh, So there are some things that are slotting in and we had just been pretty high on our defensive performances. And I'll come back to you, Dave, for your wrap up thoughts in a couple of minutes. Harry and I are going to see out the game and we'll finish then the show with Harry. Um, we bring on uh, Ibu Kanate for Joel Matip, who I've just mentioned in 72 minutes. Um, and, you know, if that was supposed to add defensive solidity, unfortunately it didn't. On 73, Darwin gets under a Robbo cross and he heads it well over. You know, it's, 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 it was never really much of an opportunity. Adingra puts in a, a decent run down the flank and across in 76 minutes. Um, and then March does up. Trent and the newly introduced Ibu Kanate, like a kipper, gets in between them on the left-hand side and the free kick is conceded. Um, 
you know, you'd like to think this shouldn't be a danger. What with us having the lads that we have, it's a simple ball in from the left and dunk gets there ahead of everybody. There's no no um, suggestion of offside. It's very clear. He comes from an onside position and gets his foot to, to, to volley the ball home from point blank range. Now, most people again are pointing to the aforementioned Andy Robertson here, who seems to go at the ball, jumping up as if he could make contact with his right foot, deciding not to, and the ball continues, and of course then it makes its way to Sully Marsh now, or sorry to uh, Lewis Dunk. There are a couple of people um, who you could talk about here in our defensive situation too, and the idea that Dunk gets there before any of our defenders is irritating in and of itself. Um, regardless of whether or not Robbo should or shouldn't have cleared the ball. I'm going to let you give your take on that, Harry, in a second. But the sad truth is that once it goes to all, there's very little by way of attempts from us. Um, they bring on, we bring on Joe Gomez on 79 minutes for Trent, um, who, you know, wasn't great in the concession of that free kick. Um, McAllister with another silly foul in the same spot um, that Trent conceded his uh, for a foul on Pedro. Um, nothing really came of that. In 83, Adingra had a cross deflected into the path of Pedro. His cross comes in from the right-hand side, as you might imagine. It comes off, I think, Virgil and ends up at the feet of Pedro, who skies his effort when really the goal is kind of gaping and he should do better and maybe finish the game um, for them with three points. Um, then there's a series of yellow cards. There's a speculative Luis Diaz effort on 87 minutes. Fatty comes on for Pedro on 87 as well. Only four minutes are added, which was weird. And then there's a yellow for Balaba. He's uh, down cramping up, wasting time at the end. We have a chance to float a ball in from a free kick towards the death, I think right in the 94th minute. And it's spectacularly wasted opportunity. So we don't ever look having gone down 2-2 as if we're going to get back up and get back in it. It just doesn't appear to be the case. Like I said, there's that long range effort from Diaz is as close as we get. Um, whereas to be fair to Brighton, they did have an opportunity to wrap it up, Harry. And um, I suppose this is where we come full circle round to me sort of starting to think that maybe that was a decent point after all. Yeah, I mean, I think the Pedro chance is guilt edge. I mean, you'd you'd want your your striker certainly sort of the striker you've you've recently bought for, I think it was reasonably big money uh, to to be taking that chance, right? Uh, so it's yeah, it's d- disappointing that he, he he does practically sort of everything wrong in that situation, leaning back, etc., uh, and misses it. But I mean, I I was happy with the way in which we. In the, in, in the last, what, what, four, five, six minutes or so, like, did pen them back, did keep them in. I, I just didn't think we, we used the ball very cleverly, to be honest. I thought, um, we, we did, we did regain possession of the ball quite well, like, pen them in and, like, fairly well in those last moments. But yeah, it just seemed that, that little bit of composure, um, or perhaps just the, the, the fall of the ball, like, falling into someone's path and a deflection going away. Something like that. I think Mo had a couple of chances where sort of, sort of shots blocked and things like that were, that could maybe have, maybe been better for us but we didn't manage to engineer that clear chance like they did right so i think yeah it was it was disappointing that we didn't manage that and there were a couple moments where you're hoping for a little bit more patience and uh, i think it was either slobber slice or floated one in aimlessly like diaz obviously has that long shot as well and there's a 
interesting discussion between you and Dave around Diaz and you sort of talking about me and like the, the, wanting more from him. I, I, I did. I, I completely accept the context of him coming into an unsettled side uh, and uh, things being different for him than they were for Mane, for sure. It's just, I would like, yeah, just like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to when he can be a more, more assertive force in the side, really. Just like, like yeah. um, and again, he, he, he had that moment against Tottenham robbed from him, right? So it's, it's uh yeah we need to be sort of a little bit mindful about it it's just yeah, he's 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 performing in the backdrop of a huge very high bar that Sadio that Sadio left when he um or Sadio set when he left obviously so yeah I think the way in which the game plays out again pu- pulling Joe Gomez on to deal uh with with Mitoma completely cold uh, I wasn't altogether surprised that <laughs> Gomez who has been very good this season sort of struggled with that it's quite a difficult thing just to d- dump in defenders to deal with a a winger who's who's really got into rhythm uh, as the game's gone on and the irony of course there is he comes on for Trent who has already kind of made the mistake um, yeah you know the were, were is, is was it wasn't it March who got yes. in between the two of them and it's Trent who gives away the foul I believe um uh, and not Ibu and yeah you know it's just the irony that Joe Gomez comes on after we concede um and you know yeah it's just it's it's frustrating I should point out as well, I mean, I sort of referenced it earlier on, I think that, that is the foul as well that I think Deserby's kind of after the game and says he doesn't, doesn't think that's a foul, uh, and that they got that free kick quite, it was quite soft. So again, like slightly refreshing to see a manager say his, I, th- I think, I think the full quotes are actually quite, uh, illuminating, right? I mean, he was saying stuff along the lines of the fact that he's got a huge amounts of, uh, what was it? Like, I love Klopp. He can do what he wants because I have big respect and I consider him one of the best coaches in the world. I like his behavior. When he says something 99% of the time, I tend to agree. It was a clear penalty and I told the referee that. It was a penalty, but it also wasn't a foul for when we scored the second goal. I am honest and I told Jürgen my, my idea. So I guess, <laughs> like, uh, surreally refreshing, slightly unsettling to sit to hear his comments from. Well, I, I assume he's talking about the penalty for Virgil's handball, is he? Well, which one? Sorry, the I I don't oh, think oh, oh, off, don't, off the yeah. thigh onto the hand. You think? Yeah, I don't think he's weighing in there in terms of that's definitely a penalty um, for the Reds. I think he I think he's going on about the one that he got the yellow card for crying about. Uh, I thought he was saying because he's saying it was a penalty, but it wasn't a foul for when we scored the second goal. So yeah, I don't know, but whatever. I mean, he he, he seems to be reasonably sound. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A bit of balance there, yeah. And I think yeah, I I. I it's hard for me to get on the um, get on this pod without sort of mentioning the fact that I think I heard you speaking to Jan about it on your Mobby on the spot, obviously. But I mean, th- th- this past week, I've I've been genuinely staggered by just the number of sensible guys and gals um, just absolutely embarrassing themselves in the way in which they reacted to the events last weekend and the, the very measured comments about that from manager like, from from Klopp from others as well. I, I think it was really, really, really revealing, actually, and uh, was just, yeah, even with the managers uh, that have obviously got a lot of praise so far this season, such as Ange, um, just people unwilling to sort of remove themselves from the tribal trenches. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite refreshing to see that from De Zerbi. Um And, yeah, very, very many more wrap-up thoughts. Again, I think it's a good point in the end. I think they're, they're a good side. You know, some good highlights in terms of the performances and the, and the resilience on Nunez. Uh, another positive in terms of how he played. Salah gets two more 
Sobotlai again reiterates just how important he is for us. Um, and that's probably where it ends, actually. <laughs> but look pretty positive as well coming on as well. But I think hopefully we can take a lesson from this that yeah. not to be, not to try and be too smart and just actually sometimes play people in the roles in which they are comfortable in. Uh, yeah. I think Dan Kennett, just the last thing for me, Dan Kennett said that the endo situation reminds him of the Nat Reese situation in uh, um, the, the 2021 season. Klopp admitted he took too long to turn to them instead of playing midfielders out of position and that the team will probably benefit more from Endo as DM for a while with Mac further forward. Again, it's not ideal. I mean, again, we, I think we all wanted to have a sort of a, maybe a higher profile defensive specialist signing there, but again, players in, in you know, round pegs, round holes, try that for a while and just see, see if it actually uh, bears fruit. But uh, for me, yeah, there'll be a little bit of a break, obviously with the international break whilst we'll, struggle to think of what we can talk about but I'm sure the referees will give us plenty and then there'll be a rivalry con ahead of the Merseyside derby um, where hopefully we can yeah uh, pile some more pressure on on that lot Tremendous uh, maybe you and I should just do a show on on Mike Dean and Paul Merson that could, I could there's at least an happens, hour's worth happens, of material yeah so. <laughs> That's great, and actually, you've 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 uh, you've you've uh, skipped ahead there and wrapped it up first. Thanks for that, Harry and Dave. Let's get your wrap up thoughts and 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 final plug as well. Um, I think you you guys have covered most of the ground. Um, I think I think you're right, Trev. I, I don't think the Gravenberg chance is as easy as people are making it out to be. I still think he should score because I think a player of his technical ability should score from there. But again, like you guys said, I, th- I thought he had a solid performance. Um, the midfield made a lot more sense with him there. Uh, Harry mentioned Endo, and I, I just, I, I still can't wrap my head around why he was taken off on 45 in the week if he wasn't going to play in this one. Like, what was the point in taking him off at halftime? Because he was doing okay, right? I thought yeah, he was, he was playing well. Yeah. And then you bring on. Alexis and play him out of position rather than playing him in his actual position. And then you play Alexis out of position again today. So it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but like I said at the start, I'm happy with the point. And if you look at the, at, at who we've played and look at the table, okay, this season, we played Chelsea away from home and I know they're 11th and I know they're crap. They spent a billion quid and nobody predicted they'd be this bad. Then we played, we played Bournemouth and obviously <clears throat> the season has started dreadfully for them. They're second from bottom. They haven't won a game yet, but we still won the game. We went to Newcastle. Newcastle currently sit eighth, but I think we'd all agree they've, they've underperformed, but they have won three of the last four in the league. Then we played Villa. Villa are fifth in the league. So they're pretty good. Uh, and they beat Brighton 6-1 last weekend. Then we played Wolves, and again, they're not great, but they've had a couple of decent results of late, and they're climbing the table. Then we played West Ham. West Ham currently sits seventh in the league. So again, pretty decent team. Uh, after that, we played Spurs. Now, we lost, but we all know why we lost. Everybody's admitted why we lost and accepted why we lost. It wasn't because we were worse than them. Um, they're top of the league. like Spurs Because, because of that. Because of those three points. Specifically yes. because of those but, three But had that game ended in a draw, they'd still be second. So yeah. they're still a good team. And then today we've played Brighton. 
who currently sits sixth in the league. So we have played all bar City and Arsenal of the current top eight. You know, we've had the hardest start of any team in the league this season. We've played six of the top eight, and that doesn't include Chelsea. And Chelsea away is always a tough place to go for us. Because, like, you have to remember, every team we play, in the same way it is for City, every team we play raises their game for us. Because when Liverpool or City come to town, that's the marquee fixture, the marquee home fixture outside of your your local derby for the season. So teams raise their game because generally the home supporters raise their game as well. And, you know, we've had to go to Chelsea, go to Newcastle, go to Spurs, go to Brighton. We haven't had an easy start by any stretch. But as I said earlier, we're third. Well, we're, we're currently fourth in the league because Arsenal are drawing. So they'll move a point ahead of us. But we're three points off top. If that's all it is, is three points. And if City find a goal in the last 25, 30 minutes of this game today, uh, we will be third and we'll be four point, yeah, four points off top because they will go top ahead of, ahead of Spurs. Which if you'd looked at that start, that, that eight game run pre-season when last season was still at the forefront of your mind, I absolutely think we'd have all taken 17 points from the eight games. If I told you that we'd had four red cards, that we'd had to play away to Newcastle, one nil down with 10 men and somehow come out of it with a win that we'd lost a man with half, whatever half an hour left or whatever it was against, against Bournemouth at home that we'd lost two players wrongly away to Spurs. And yet we almost still almost got some, like, I think we'd all have been really, really happy with this prediction of where we'd be by now. I just think because we're in the season and because there, as yet there isn't one team that's sort of separated from the pack, like City lost to Wolves last week. So everybody has has a flaw in them. There's still, you know, like we said earlier, there's, there's still that hope that we could maybe win the league. And look, maybe we can if we can continue this good run of form. The, the, the fixtures get that little bit easier coming out of this international break. We get Everton at home, Forest at home, Luton away. That should be three wins. Then it's City, uh, then, sorry, then Brentford home, City away, which will obviously be tough. But then Fulham home, Sheffield United away, Palace away. Then we'll be embarrassing Manchester United and probably getting Eric Ten Hag sacked. And then it's Arsenal home and, and they will shit themselves and they come to Anfield as they always do. Then it's Burnley. So like, you know, barring Arsenal home city away, that's a very, very strong run of games for us where we can go and pick up a lot of points. And maybe we get to January 1st in second place, a couple of points behind City because we're not having to overstretch our squad because in the Europa League, we can rotate so heavily. And maybe then we can go in January and we can add that ball winner that we need. And maybe we might look to bring in one more piece, whatever that might be. And have a real bash at its second half of the season. Like, I just think for what we have and where we are right now, we're doing really well. Because the performances have been really uneven. But the points are still coming in. Even if it's only one point from the last six, 
I, I'm not overly upset with that. Like if City draw today, they'll only have one point from the last six available, but they lost to Wolves. We lost to Spurs. So there's a real difference there. Like they lost because they just weren't good enough on the day. We lost because we got screwed. Yeah. Arsenal see- have drawn a bunch of games. Like Villa have been tumped a couple of times. Brighton have been tumped a couple of times. You know, we, we beat West Ham fairly quickly. Like, it is, it's, it's a really even playing field at the moment. The one team you look at and think they can separate themselves is City. Because so you know we- that they've got KDB coming back and they're we really well at the moment. We really want that draw today. Um, yes. He's being to keep the pack together. Yeah. So that it doesn't get separated out because City starts moving themselves away. Like you said, it starts to get a bit demoralizing. Um, right. We should wrap it up. It's getting very, very long here, uh, in terms of the length of the show. What about stuff from you in the week? I know it's going to be a little bit atypical, but you'll surely have your usual dailies anyway. Yeah. It, dailies. Daily Red and Two-Footed, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. No no pods on Wednesday this week. We'll do at least one scouted. We'll try and get a second one done as well. Uh, unlike part-timer over there, I I don't get the opportunity of just taking the, the, all the time off because it's an international <laughs> break. You know? It's a great thing for Harry. You know, no, no pods needed during the summer. Just kind of flits in and out. They gets to speak to, you know, members of the media, has, has these great connections. You know, it must, must be fantastic. All this spare time that he has, but, uh, Sound no, stay uh, fresh. Sound stay fresh. That's why he still looks like he's 22. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, there you go. Guy Drinkle with the suggestion. There should be rival recons for the England games. You get yourself some, some randomers from all over the world. Um, no, look, as I said, look, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy with the point today. Um, I would have loved us to win. And I think we, we had the opportunity to win with that Gravenberg chance. But again, they also had opportunities. We could easily have lost the game. You know, if, if Jeb Pedro puts that chance away, we lose. And then we're having a really different discussion today than, than we, we have had. So, um, all things considered, yeah, I'm happy, happy as we are. And, Looking forward to the next game, you know, because it's a chance to play Everton and they are fucking woeful. So that's fun. Hopefully that will be fun and we'll obviously be there with you guys for that. Um, We'll wrap it up at about north of 90 minutes. Fair play to us. That's a serious shift. Uh, Hopefully you will have enjoyed the pod um, because it's not going to be back with you until Liverpool are playing again. Obviously the nature of the show demands that. But in the meantime, if Harry said, good process, Harry, good process, mate. Um, If Harry said he's doing things, listen to them. If Dave Hendricks doing things, listen to them. Um, If you're not for some reason, if you're a weirdo and you've never listened to Jan Mulby talking about football, um, we're in a very lucky position in this channel to have him on a daily on a weekly basis and he's just the best he's better than any of these other stuffed shirts that you see on Without Sky question. BT. Without question. It's, it's actually it's actually kind of I would imagine humiliating for them if they had to listen to Jan he's so many streets ahead that I don't understand why there aren't tens of thousands of ear holes on this show on a regular basis so if you are in that bracket sort yourself out and get, get listening and if you do enjoy the show. Tell other people about it for the love of Christ. That's the only way these things 
grow. So we'll be back with you. Myself and Dave will probably do some interesting filler as well at some stage over the international break. We tend to. We'll come up with some daft idea at some stage and have a chat. So we will be back with you filling in the content as per during the international break and Roll return when the Reds return. Until then, I've been Trev Denny. You had Harry Setti. You had Dave Hendrick and producer Guy Drinkle contributing as usual from the background. And we'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.